While researching material for a book on his new homeland of Switzerland, travel writer Dickon Buse stumbled upon a curious old travel diary from the Victorian era. In it, he read the observations of a Miss Jemima, who took one of the new package tours to the Alps. What she described inspired Dickon to see just how much had changed since the 19th century. He writes about what they both encountered in his book, Slow Train to Switzerland. Dickon, welcome back to Travel with Rick Steves. Hi, Rick. Thanks for inviting me. So who is Miss Jemima, and uh, how did you meet her? She's actually just a normal 31-year-old lady from North Yorkshire in England. She wrote this diary, but never became famous. She wasn't Bridget Jones. She wasn't Anne Frank. It's a diary that she wrote for herself. And I came across her when I was researching my first book, Swiss Watching, and wanted to look at Swiss history in English. And there weren't many books in English. And I found her diary on the internet, secondhand, and read it and loved it. It's really full of life and full of humor, but full of Victorian ladies' morals as well. And uh, I decided there and then to follow in her footsteps. And this was really the, the first international tour that Thomas Cook, who sort of invented tourism, led. And it was 1863, a bunch of rich uh, English people going through the Swiss Alps. Is that right? It is right, apart from the fact they weren't rich, uh, which was the whole point. Up until Thomas Cook came along, you had to be rich. You had to have three months or so to get to Switzerland and stay there. Transport was very limited. Mm. It was very slow. You needed time. What Thomas Cook created was the first holiday abroad for the middle classes, so doctors, lawyers, Ah, bankers. And they could afford his group tickets, made it much cheaper, And using the trains, that new invention at the time, made it much faster. And so this was the birth of Thomas Cook as a global brand. With Switzerland, he had immense success. He had been almost bankrupt a few years before, but Switzerland saved his company. And within two years, he was offering tours of Italy and Germany. Within 10 years, he was selling round-the-world tickets. So modern tourism, as we know it, was born in Switzerland with Thomas Cook. I was really interested in looking at this point in Swiss history and the point in travel history when the first mass tourism started, but also how Switzerland had changed or not since that time. So I used Miss Jemima's diary and I used the guidebook that they used back in 1860s. I didn't take my iPhone. I didn't take any modern guidebooks. And I followed in her footsteps exactly the same day to day, following the same rhythm, using her diary as a guide to see What a change. I worked so hard to make my Switzerland guidebook up to date, and you chose to use a guidebook that was written in 1860. Was there any value at all to that, and how would that be, like, surprisingly helpful? There was a lot of value to it because Switzerland in those days was one of the poorest countries in Europe, and the guidebook gave very good advice, like, never leave your hotel without a few small coins in your pocket to get rid of all the beggars (laughs) that are in every street which is something we would never come across in a modern guidebook because Switzerland is now one of the richest countries in the world. And tourism was one of the things that helped change it from poor to rich. And so it was fascinating from a social history point of view to see Switzerland through the eyes of the Victorians rather Mm -hmm. than through our eyes. So what was your general route? And as you did that route, what did you come across that really could take you back 150 years? We went from London to Paris to Geneva by train, which took them two whole days and then down into Chamonix-Mont-Blanc and across into Switzerland, the Rhone Valley, over to the Bernese Oberland, Interlaken, and then Lucerne, Mount Rigi, and back. So it was quite a rural route. There were almost no trains. Once you got to Geneva by train, everything was by carriage or on foot. 
And so it was not an easy journey for them. They endured 18-hour days, getting up at four o'clock every morning. They walked a lot of the way, so 25-mile hikes over the mountains. And you have to remember, Miss Jemima, this has gone with the wind era. She was wearing a big dress with crinolines, hmm. and she still hiked through the mountains. It's not really the image we have of Victorian ladies. We see them as rather demure and unadventurous. But these, these women were quite intrepid. They hiked across quite big glaciers. The glaciers were much bigger in those days, and they hiked across them with no safety equipment, no ropes, no helmets, no guides, anything. They just went for a walk across the glacier. I think they probably presumed if they fell into a crevasse, their dress would stop their fall because <laughs> their dress was much bigger than the crevasse. Dick and Buse is our guide right now to Switzerland that the 19th century English package tourist encountered. His book is called Slow Train to Switzerland. Dickens also written a, a bestseller about the Swiss called Swiss Watching. He lives in Bern, and uh, he retraced the steps of a woman whose journal he found uh, of an 1863 tour. Dickens, when I go to a place like Interlaken or even Klanischeidig, uh, a, a mountain station high up in the Alps, I find these old, these grand hotels. When you listed your itinerary, that was the grand tour, wasn't it? And, and this was established, and much of that tour survives today. The places you ticked off are still the places that the tourists that go to Switzerland want to check out. I mean, an English first Thomas Cook tour or a, a Japanese busload of 50 people coming in for the best of Switzerland, a lot of the stuff is the same. It is, and it's all down to the landscape because people still want to see the Eiger, they still want to see the Matterhorn, they still want to see the beautiful waterfalls and meadows and Alps. That's the reason why Thomas Cook was successful in the first place, to get the British off their newly industrial smoggy island and to go to the clean air and beautiful landscape. And that's pretty much why people carry on coming. And when you go to places like Interlaken or Grindelwald, a lot of the infrastructure that we see there today, whether it's the grand hotels or the train lines or the paddle steamers, that was all built after 1863 for the British tourists. British tourism pretty much created Switzerland as we know it. And for that, I'm forever grateful because we can enjoy beautiful mountain trains or a little bit of luxury if we can afford it. And it's all there because 150 years ago, Thomas Cook decided to take some people to Switzerland. As a tour guide who's been taking people around Switzerland for 30 years, people are just always enamored with chocolate, Swiss knives, Swiss army knives, cuckoo clocks, and Swiss watches. Mm -hmm. To what degree did Jemima find any of that? And where did all those cliches come from? Well, chocolate, she certainly wouldn't have found in the form that we know it. Milk chocolate was invented in Switzerland, but not till 1875. So she wouldn't have found a nice bar of Nestle <laughs> chocolate for sure. Swiss army knives weren't invented till the 1890s, so she wouldn't have found those either. Heidi wasn't written till 1880, so she wouldn't even have heard of that. Pretty much the only thing she could have bought and her brother who traveled with her did buy was a watch. Watches then were the souvenir to take back. Even then, Swiss mm. watches had a reputation for immense beauty and accuracy. That dates back to John Calvin, Jean Calvin, who was a reform preacher in Geneva. And in 1541, he banned the wearing and production of jewelry in Geneva. And so all the jewelry makers had to switch to a new trade because they had lost their market completely. And they switched to making watch cases and watches. And that's where the Swiss watch industry started and has grown ever since to become a multi-billion dollar industry. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Dick and Buse. His book is Slow Train to Switzerland, retracing the 1863 first tour group going through Switzerland with Thomas Cook from England. 
Dickon, when I'm in Switzerland, I'm always impressed by the number of uh, nostalgic steam trains and cog rail trains and so on. There's an appetite for keeping the elegance of the old world kind of still accessible to travelers to this day. Talk a little bit about nostalgia alpine wonders. That, for me, is one of the wonders of living in Switzerland and traveling around, that a lot of these early train lines, which were built in the 50 years after Thomas Cook arrived, are still there, and some of them very often have steam trains on them. So, for instance, you can travel up the oldest mountain railway in Europe. It was the second in the world. It goes up Mount Riggi, and uh, every so often they will have steam trains on special days. But even if you go on a normal day, you get a nostalgic old carriage And it's a beautiful train ride. And you have to remember that when it opened in 1871, the only alternative was to walk up, which takes about five hours, Hmm. or to be carried up like Queen Victoria was in a sedan chair. Imagine that, 1871, they would do these just for tourism, really. I mean, in the generation after that, they dug tunnels through the Eiger to take the train all the way up to the the Jungfrau Jok, which is the top of Europe. It is. And it was all for tourism. There is no reason for these tunnels and train lines to be built because no one lives in these places. They were built as tourist attractions to keep the tourists coming. And they were financed by tourism because they had this captive market. And so when you go up to Jungfrau Jok today, and it's up at maybe 10,000 feet, the tunnel that was built and opened in 1912, was built as a tourist attraction for British tourists who needed something to do and a way to spend their money. But you can still do it today in a modern train, but the engineering is still exactly the same as it was over 100 years ago. And that, for me, is amazing that it has survived and is still as much loved now as it was then. So when you go to the top of the Jungfrau Jok today, it's mind-blowing investment in technology, and it's 100 years old, and it was done for this very beginning of modern tourism. And when you walk the main street in Interlaken, you see these wonderful grand hotels. What's the big classic old grand tour hotel in Interlaken? The Victoria Jungfrau. Yeah, you step in there and it, it takes you back 100 years easy. It's like going onto the set of Downton Abbey. It really is. That's great. It's like one tour, but two trips, 150 years in a world of change apart. What would you envy after doing this about what Miss Jemima would have experienced that you can't do today? And what might she envy about your trip that she couldn't have done back in the 19th century? For me, one of the biggest disappointments was that the glaciers have pretty much disappeared. She went to Grindelwald, where in those days two glaciers came right down into the village. She only had to walk across the field to see the ice. I had to hike a couple of hours up just to see the end of the glacier, which was another couple of hours away. So those mighty rivers of ice, or frozen hurricanes as Byron called them, have disappeared almost completely, which is such a shame. For her, she probably would envy the speed with which I got round. It definitely was a slow tour for her. And it was uncomfortable. They had no bathrooms in the hotels. They didn't wash or bathe for three weeks. They wore the same clothes every day. I luckily could bathe every day and change my clothes. So she'd probably envy the hygiene. I think we have an advantage. We can enjoy essentially the same alpine wonder. And we have amazing efficiency, uh, convenience, and comfort. Exactly. I think the landscape is just as beautiful as she saw it, but we have the modern comforts that came about as a result of that first tour. Dickon Buse, author of Slow Train to Switzerland, how might Miss Jemima have said goodbye and thanks? She would probably have said Gute Reise und Merci Mal in German. And Merci. Merci Mal. Rick Steves has spent a third of his adult life in Europe researching and writing guidebooks. Europe Through the Back Door teaches the skills of smart travel. 
travel as a political act adds meaning to the journey. And Rick Steves' best-selling country, city, and pocket guidebooks cover every corner of Europe. To learn more, visit the Travel Store at ricksteves.com.